What's going on, Venture fans? We are going to continue talking about this staff. More thoughts on Greg Scruggs, the staff turnover. Plus, uh, if we win seven games next year, is it hits the over, but is that a good thing? We're going to talk about that and more with a great guest on today's Locked On Badgers. Let's go. You are Locked On Badgers, your daily podcast on the Wisconsin Badgers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, Badger fans? Welcome to Lockdown Badgers. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. Really do appreciate y'all. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today. You get $150 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown to get started. Um, let's just get into it. So we have Curtis Holland jumping on the show. Second or third time he's been on the show. I've been on a bunch of lives. Curtis is awesome. Um, I do want to give you a second, Curtis, because on the previous show you were on, someone reached out and said, Hey, what is Curtis's connection to the program? Because he seems like there's something there. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to just speak on that a little bit. Yeah. So thanks for having me again, Ryan. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I've grown up a Badger fan, you know, it's kind of in my blood. I, um, I went to the university um, from 2010 to 2015, took an extra senior year because I liked it so much. Um, but, you know, I actually have a lot of family ties. My, my grandpa played football um, on the team from, 59 to 62 he was on the rose bowl team um in 62 that lost to usc uh which was up into i believe the michigan texas game considered to be the best rose bowl of all time he actually had a touchdown called back in that game that uh would have been the difference there was holding call on a 30-yard run he had so he's actually in the hall of fame there i got to collect his um his uh medal or i guess your his you know his reward when because he passed away unfortunately in 2016 before he got inducted um, my dad uh, also played football at Wisconsin, 81 to 85. He played with Altoon, uh, played with a bunch of those guys back then. He played running back. My uncle played football, um, Tyler Holland from 06 to 10 under Bielema. Um, so I got to know a little bit more of the team, you know, personally back then and, and, and a lot more relationships with some of the coaching staff and people on the team back then. Um, my mom, uh, my grandpa's from Madison. He grew up in Madison his whole life on my mom's side. And he never played football at Wisconsin, but he played a lot of sports. He used to always tell me about when he was younger, they would sneak into the football games. They'd get a hundred kids together, hop the fence. And it was like, not, we can't, they can't catch all of us. That's when you could do those kinds of things. Um, then my mom, you know, she went to Wisconsin. Um, a couple of my uncles on her side played hockey there. Um, so I really grew up, you know, with Madison as a second home, you know, going up there, um, watching football games, a little bit more of a personal relationship with some of the, the co previous coaches and staff, because, you know, my family knew them and, um, you know, I got to meet a lot of them and a lot of old players and, um, even now, you know, my, my family's heavily involved in the, in the school on the, you know, um, alumni, you know, donor side. So we have some relationships in there. And so, you know, I, my whole life, it's kind of almost like, uh, to me, the Wisconsin's kind of like family. Like it's, it's, you know, it's a different kind of fandom when Wisconsin struggles, you know, I don't just go and look at a different team. It's kind of like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. So it's just a, a different kind of relationship, I guess you could say. Hey, let me ask you this on, on your grandpa's touchdown run that was called back. You guys ever is there a good film of the the holding call? Was it a good call? There's, there's not, and I don't know. I, I, um, you know, I've only seen bits and pieces of that, and and they're probably somewhere in the archives somewhere. There's actually a full game film that we can look at. Um, you know, and when I really cared to try to find that information, it was back when it was almost impossible to find any kind of film on old games. Um, but he's my grandpa. You know, I, I run with that story. I think, uh, you know, I think there's more proof to that than maybe the Wilt Chamberlain hundred point game. So we'll see what happens, but. Uh, that's actually a good point. Now that you say that, I might look into that and see if I can if I can find some. Really quick, I, 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 probably the state historical society might have it. So I, next time I'm Madison, I'll uh, I'll take a look. 
it's got to be somewhere, man. Um, and really quick, I want to finish up this because I, I think that's just an amazing connection to the program. What kind, what kind of back was your your grandpa? So he was um, a speed back. So he, um, when he was in high school, he ran uh, track, was was really fast. Um, and he went to Wisconsin. Um, I forgot how many yards he had his senior year, um, but he was all Big Ten running back. And I know he ran track at Wisconsin too. Um, he used to say he got invited to the the U.S. Olympic trials. I don't know if he actually went to him. I don't know how far he get. I don't know if he was like on the first name cut off. He didn't make the Olympics, obviously, but that was more his thing was he was just really fast. That's awesome, man. Uh, let, let's talk about what you and I talk a lot of, uh, kind of offline off the show about staff, about Grinch, about Scruggs, about the turnover. Is it an issue? Is it not an issue? Um, I want to just start with Scruggs. I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but I wanted your perspective because I think one of the things you do really well and it's really unique is you care about the program, but you have a really recent approach to the way you look at things, the way you think about things. Uh, what was your first reaction when Scruggs went to Michigan? Well, my first reaction was, oh, dang, we lost another coach. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, the uh, the reality of it is this, like, you know, Scruggs, obviously, you know, he was loyal to Fickle and uh, when he first got here, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is a guy that we're going to be able to build, you know, a D-line around. We're going to be able to build some future with him. Uh, you know, really excited to have him. Obviously, he's going to be here for a while because the whole reason he came to Wisconsin was fickle in the first place. And then you see, you know, oh, it looks looking like he's going to go to Michigan. Well, you, you dig a little bit deeper. He has actually deeper ties with Sharon more than he does with Luke Fickle, you know, going back to his days at Louisville. So, you know, it's like, okay, like that, you know, it's like, hey, I'm working for my uncle, but then my dad calls. I want to work for him. Like, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, Okay, I, I kind of get it. And then, you know, you look at Michigan as a program. Um, I'm not sure what Badger fans are on about Michigan and Wisconsin being on the same level. Like, that's never really been a thing to me. Like, I mean, football, if you just look at football records, we're 7-5 and five and trying to rebuild our program. Michigan just won a title. I mean, that's not comparable. And then you look at the school itself. Michigan is like Wisconsin just kind of elevated at every level from, you know, academics to alumni to size to – it, pretty much everything like they just and I hate to admit this as a Wisconsin fan don't don't you know you might want to actually cut this part out of the interview but um, I mean Michigan is just one of those those programs that like they're one of the top programs in the country and they're that way for a reason and so it's tough for me to come on here and say you know this is a lateral move for him um, he's gonna make more money he's coaching with someone that you know to him he's got better relationships with at a program that just won a title with a incredibly deep and talented D-line room <clears throat> you know it's just tough for me to to look at that and, and say, you know, how could you, how could you, you know, turn it down? I mean, it, it's just kind of what it's just business at this point. Well, and I also always look at at assistant coaches. They're they're salesmen to some degree, right? They travel around the country mm -hmm. and they have to sell their product, and their product being the university, their positional group. Uh, it's so much easier to sell Michigan than Wisconsin, like that. There's a stress level to recruiting, I imagine, and you're recruiting against all these other schools, and that's not a knock on Wisconsin. It's so much easier to sell Michigan than 99 percent of Division One programs. I just think it's an easier job. Maybe there's more. There's certainly more pressure, I would think, because he's taking more money. Yeah, I think I don't know if I would say it's easier um, because it like, you know, I, I, I think about, um, you know, I think about, for example, I, I know more about I'll just use a comparison of Ohio State. And this is partially why I love that Luke Fickle's from there. Um, when Urban Meyer was coach, if you didn't get your recruits, I mean, the expectation was to land a top five recruiting class there. And if you didn't get that, you were on the chopping block. Right. So it's a different kind of. Of pressure right like wisconsin we can go after top guys but if we lose them you know no one in the pit fans are upset but no one's really like calling for a coach's head we've grown up on you know doing more with less and, and and guys who weren't you know highly rated and things like that so that's not something we're you know really 
um, worried about. But if you if you don't get top classes at, I'm, I'm well now more and more in Michigan, but like you know if you're at one of the top schools, you fail to land a top class. Like we'll take Hitchler for example. If he's at Alabama and doesn't land a top five safety, he's on the chopping block. I mean, you know, you have to perform there and, and get top players. Like that, it's a different type of stress. And then on top of that, you know, those teams expect championships at a higher level, unfortunately, than we do. And I think, you know, it's it's just a different kind of difficulty. I wouldn't say it's easier. Um, and quite frankly, if if I'm a coach and he wants to go to an easier job, then I don't want him. So if that was his reasoning, then good. I'm glad he's gone because that's not what I want for my coach. I want my coaches to be competitors, to want to have challenges and to want to overcome those challenges. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly a good point. The the pressure cooker there is going to be enormous, especially coming off that national title, and you have to replace mm-hmm. one left. Um, I want I want to shift over here. We got to take a quick break, but coming after the break, I want to talk about just the staff continuity in general. And if you think where you, if, how big of a deal do you think this is? And I, I really want your perspective on that coming up next on Lockdown Badgers. But first, we're going to take a quick break for our friends of the show over at FanDuel. FanDuel remains the number one source for all your sports betting needs, the number one sports book that we go to for our betting needs on the Lockdown Network. There's a reason why right now new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 for free when you place a $5 bet, win or lose for new customers. Please do it responsibly as always, but is it a great place for futures, spreads, parlays, teasers, every single sport you can think of or want. Plus, the user interface is really fast. It's easy. It's simple. If you're not a gambling savant, you can still get in there, make your bets, get all your action really simply, easily. Um, The payouts are fast and simple. It's not like some of those other sites that you've probably used in the past, and we're not going to mention them here. Or when you win, it gets routed through like three different banks in different countries, and it's really hard to get your money. FanDuel is simple, easy, fast. They are the official sports betting partner of the NFL, of the NBA, and of the Locked On Network. Go to FanDuel.com slash Locked On, FanDuel.com slash Locked On today. Make every moment more. All right, let's get back with uh, with Curtis here. And uh, one of the things we've talked about, and I think this is where maybe we've hit a bit of a disagreement at times, is I feel like this staff turnover hurts the program. And, and I'm not saying that you don't, you haven't said that, but how big of a deal is it to maybe lose five or six assistant coaches one year into Fickle's regime? Obviously, that's not what you want. Um, but, you know, when I, when I look at um, the team, the thing that I think is the most important and the pieces that we kept um, our matter more. We kept our OC, we kept our DC, we kept our head coach, right? And, you know, in that vein, when we bring in guys, the coaches we bring in are going to have to learn the way our, we, we do things. You know, they're going to have to learn our signals. They're going to have to learn our play calls. They're going to have to learn, you know, our methods, right? Uh, assistant coach isn't going to necessarily come in and be like, this is how I run, this is how the defensive line room is run. No, there's going to be some semblance of continuity in the sense that, like, there's an overall structure to how we want to structure our program. And you're going to have to fit in that because that's how we're running our team. And that comes from the top down. And so um, obviously it's not ideal. You know, you have guys that are building relationships with the players that are now gone. You have guys that understand the players, you know, they're, 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 they're um, little, little intricacies in the different ways that you got to coach somebody or kind of what they're about. Maybe they have good relationships with some players or, or, you know, um, things like that. So obviously there's going to be some of that there. And then the recruiting piece, you know, you lose, the relationships that you maybe you pre-established over the last year or two, you know, scouting different schools and and more importantly, you lose relationships with different high school coaches um, because that's going to matter ultimately in the long run to getting into schools to see players. Um, so obviously that's not great, but I think for me, you know, 
the fact that we kept Fickle, the fact that we kept Longo, the fact that we kept Trestle ultimately tells me that it's it's going to be fine. You know, that a lot of these coaching pieces, um, not that they're plug and play and not that it doesn't matter, but I think that the effect it will have on the team itself is vastly, vastly overstated. Yeah, I wonder if, and I'm curious your your take on this, because I know from a professional standpoint, we've talked about it. You you work somewhat in the, the business of, of helping hiring manage talent as well. You always want people who are looking to grow and get better, right? Like you want talented individuals who, and listen, talented individuals eventually move on to bigger roles. Like that's part of life. But what's the balance, right? When you're hiring an assistant coach, because you also don't want a guy who's going to leave in a year. Like, how do you find that sweet spot to someone who's going to be around for a while, but someone who's also talented enough that the bigger schools is, is it is in a way the fact that Michigan and Alabama have come in and taken people from your staff is a sign that you're hiring talented guys, but you got to find a way to get guys in the door for more than a year. What's the balance there? What's the sweet spot? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I've never worked with a company in my life that hasn't said we want people for the long haul <laughs> as every, mm-hmm. every company ever. So um, the, the trouble is you don't really know. I mean, you, you, you can screen guys, you can ask them questions, you know, you can try to figure out what their motivations are. What's their core drivers. What's, what's important to them? What are they trying to do? Um, and you figure out how that aligns with what you're trying to do in, in your program, or in this case, your team, like what your vision for the future is uh, and where do they line up? And, and and you try to do the best you can, you know, and, and it takes a good evaluator of talent to really be able to tell one, is this someone who's telling the truth? Is this someone who's being truthful? And, you know, when they tell me, Hey, I want to, I don't like to move around. I want to be in a place for a long time. Are they serious about that? Um, and there's questions you can ask, you know, to kind of gauge how serious they are, but, um, but then it also takes a good leader to make people want to stay. I mean, you know, the amount of times that we've hired people who are looking for a long-term fit, they get there and they're like, I hate it here. The leadership's terrible that everything they said they lied about, like, this is not the place I want to be. Um, you know, you have to have a great leader in place too. And so I think Fickle is that, I think he's a great evaluator of talent. I think that he knows what to, what to ask and, and what to look for. I think, with this previous team, I think there's a number of circumstances that just kind of make this situation unique. One, it's the first year. It was a very stressful year. Wisconsin is not for everybody because, you know, again, um, it's kind of like you got to do more with less. Um, and I feel like Fickle, you know, is down with that. I feel like Longo is down with that. I feel like, you know, a good amount of the staff is, is, is committed to that. But maybe not everybody wants to do that, to your point about Scruggs earlier. Maybe he wants to go to a place where there's, you know, a bigger, a deeper, um, a deeper well to draw from. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think, it's it's figuring out you know hey, okay who's going to be with us for the long term you know not just from the player side i know we've had numerous conversations about players who you know who's really committed well it's the same thing where the coaches like who's really really committed to building this you know and um and so you know again i wouldn't i wouldn't put too much you know um fear into this i don't think this is going to be something common every season um i'm not, i also saw this on the cover three podcast yesterday i'm not sure if this is how accurate this is but there's been more coaching movement this this offseason, this cycle than in like the last 20 years. Um, right. And I think that's I, I mean, I think just the fact that there's so many more jobs in three of the top four college football teams all lost their head coaches. Like, you know, it's it's there's just so much more movement that it's 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 almost like there's, you know, there's just going to be more movement. So um, I think that's kind of an outlier, too. Well, and I think there's an element of bad luck to this too, right? Like you can you can ask, to your point, you can ask all the right questions. You can bring the great drugs in and say, hey, we're looking for somebody who isn't going to jump right away. We're like, obviously, but, and then Michigan calls a year later. Well, I mean, I wasn't yeah. looking to jump, but Michigan, I can't turn it down. 
right? Like, yeah, I mean, I look at it like we've lost four coaches. I know people say five. Kaduli doesn't count. He's as much a coach of it'd be like me saying that uh, the one guy that Alabama hired as their offensive coordinator was their offensive coordinator. He was right, their offensive fair. coordinator. He was going to Seattle. Like Kaduli was never our tight ends coach, right? So for me, it's you know I look at uh, the four coaches we lost, right? Two of them were kind of one was you know a removal, um, and in Luke Fickle's case, I'm glad he did that. That showed me like, look, coaches are gonna make mistakes. Fickle's gonna make mistakes. You know, I know people were kind of mad at him, like, why did he hire this guy? If this, well, he didn't know he was going to have to fire him down the road. And he did. And, and as soon as it was known, he did it. And that's the thing you have to do. Like, you have to know that if your leaders see something wrong, they address it immediately. And he did. Right. So I'm glad about that. Um, I think Blazek's a tremendous hire. I'm not going to say he's better yet. I don't know what he's going to do, but I feel like all signs are pointing that he's going to be a really good coach for us. So that's an upgrade. You look at um, uh, Mike Brown, right? That it, it's a, it, I can look at this lateral move. It seemed more like a, hey, you know, look, if you're looking, it, it might be a good idea for you to look somewhere else. You know, like, I feel like that was the conversation that was had there. So that one, you know, again, uh, I don't feel terribly, terribly about losing him. Um, and then you lose Hitchler and Scruggs to the two teams that probably would have won the title. If Bama won, they would have won the title. If, you know, and Michigan won the title. So, you know, it, it's tough to look at that situation and say, oh, Wisconsin's failing. Well, I mean, we hired good coaches. We did what we could. Not everybody, I think, was looking for, you know, Wisconsin uh, to be their long-term thing. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it, it's just business at this point. And, and again, our key leaders are still in place. Our key structure is still in place. Um, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate. It sucks. You lose some things with guys, but you also gain some things when you bring in other guys. And, and it's kind of like the transfer portal. You know, you can always roll with the team you got, but if you have an opportunity to upgrade, you know, that's also good too. So I feel like we've, uh, done a good job of identifying talent in the coaching uh, sphere. And I think, you know, again, it's tough to say. I don't want to say we we hired upgrades. I don't want to jump jump ahead of our skis, but I do feel like the coaches we hired are great coaches and are going to do well for our team. Yeah, I like the guys that I've brought in. I agree there. And I, I've also made the point that across the board, you may take a dip somewhere, but you're going to take gains somewhere else, right? Like, so maybe mm -hmm. you don't like French as much as Hitchler for whatever reason. Um, but I, I do love Blazik. I love Guyton. I think you took probably potentially steps up there. So, it's always fluid. It's always moving. I, I do want to throw this question up here. We got a couple of comments from people too. Um, this one says, who cares? To begin the, the coaching moves, who cares? Look at Alabama's coaching turnover year after year through Saban's career. He had to replace most of his staff every single year. I don't think it's that big of a deal with positional coaches. The only pushback I would have here, Curtis, is if you're Nick Saban, you can literally pick whatever assistant coach you want. Like, it's easier to replace coaches when you're picking from Alabama's position. We've seen it, right? They, they just took Hitchler. They get a little easier job of replacing coaches, in my opinion, with the turnover. Yeah, I'd be careful with that argument just because if you look last year, for example, Alabama tried to hire um, – I can't remember. I don't know why I can't remember Washington's OC's name off the top of my head. But oh, they tried yeah. to hire him. He turned it down. You know, he tried to hire a couple of other D, D, uh, coaches. They turned him down. Saban was notoriously difficult to work for. Um, he demanded excellence, and that's why they had excellence. But people hated working for him. I mean, yeah. this is not, you know, uncommon in the coaching sphere. Like people, you know, he was he was a tyrant at times, right? Now, there's a reason that he was successful. I think there's an element that you have to be that. But, um, you know, he it wasn't just like a set in stone that, like, if I want you, you're going to be hired here, you know? Um, on top of that, the thing that, again, kept Alabama together is the fact that it was the same program year in, year out. You know, coaches came and they learned Saban's methodology, not the other way around, right? And maybe they had... You know, their offensive creative inputs, you know, you can look at Lane Kiffin or you can look at, you know, what Sarkeesian did. They obviously uh, did a lot with the offenses there and Saban didn't do a lot to like, you know, coach them in terms of running our offense. But 
what he did do is say, hey, this is our terminology. This is how we're going to run the program. This is our standard of practice. This is how we how we do things. And just, you know, put your plays in there. You know, and that was basically what it was. And um, and so that's why, again, when I look at our team, you know, one, Fickle's a great evaluator of talent. We see it on the with football players. We see it with the coaches that have been hired away and who we've, who's hired so far. Um, there's no reason for me to believe he's not going to do that again. You know, there's no reason for me to believe that. Um, I know we were talking about all these these position coaches are so great on the Discord. And it's like, I, I made the comment that, well, Fickle's the key to this. And some people, you know, take issue with that saying, hey, you know, well, the, the position coaches matter too. And, and that's true. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But who's the one who puts that position coach there? You know, if he's finding the guy who's got the talent, the qualities that a Hitler has, you don't think he can't find that again? That, that's his literal job. And that's what he does. You know, so like, that's why yeah. I'm, I'm not sitting here like whoever he hires there is going to have those skills because that's what he's looking for. Right. So that's why I'm not as concerned with it. And I, and I do believe that as long as the leadership's intact, as long as the vision's intact, we'll find a guy who fits that vision and he'll match up just as well as our previous coaches did. So I, I, I'm with you on Fickle. Like I, I think Fickle's the dude. I think he knows guys. I think he's well connected. I think he understands what he's looking for. I think he's a great coach. Like I'm, Beyond stoked still that he's Wisconsin's head guy. I will say every time you you hire and you know this, there's a risk, right? Like so, yeah. it's not it's not a guarantee because you're good at finding talent that you're going to replace guys successfully. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like there is yeah. a bit of a risk there, and I also think it's a bit of an energy vacuum, right? If you're if you're constantly having to replace guys, and it, to some degree that's always going to happen in college football, right? Like, let's be realistic. But if you're constantly having to replace guys at this scale, then you're continuing to put energy into hiring and, and training guys in your system. To your, to your point earlier, bringing them up to where you are, um, I think that takes more energy than you probably want them expending every year. But I don't think this year is going to be the norm either. I mean, at least that would be yeah. the hope. Well, I think, you know, if you're a good program, and I, and I believe that we are, mm -hmm. um, it's not an energy vacuum because you should prepare for it. You should go into each season expecting to lose coaches. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing your job, right? You're not prepared for, you know, when I, when I talk to managers, they have plans. They, they know that 20% of their workforce might not be there next year. They know that they're going to have to hire next amount of people. They know that certain people are going to be coming back. They know how a lot of those people are going to perform. A lot of guys can write the performance review for next year for their employees before the year even happens. You know, a lot of that stuff is so well known at that level that, you know, you can almost write a book by it. And I think with fickle, if I don't have a short list of, excuse me, short list of coaches, that I know are in my back pocket that, hey, if, if I lose a coach, this is who I'm going to call. If Longo decides to be a head coach, this is who I'm going to call. You know, if I lose my DC, this is who I'm going to call. If I lose a safeties guy, this is a guy that was a GA for us at Ohio State or, you know, wherever that I think is going to be good. He's at D2 right now, could come up to be one. If I don't have a short list of that, I'm not doing my job, right? I'm not preparing for what I need to do. And agents are making those phone calls. I just tell them who to call. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, it's like that's important um, to be prepared. And, and, and I, I guarantee you, while I don't think this is probably what Fickle intended, that he was definitely prepared. I mean, you don't just get Alex Grinch as a safeties coach, you know, or a Blazek who none of us even knew who he was or someone like that without having some type of idea as to who you're going after. Right. So I think that um, to us, yeah, it's an energy vacuum because we don't know what's going on. You know, we don't know who knows who. We don't know where we're at. I mean, they could already have a D-line coach basically hired right now. We don't know. We, we don't know we're fans, right? So, you know, I think that, um, yeah, it's an energy vacuum. Yeah, it's something you got to do that you maybe could have used time doing somewhere else. But also, if you're good at your job, you should plan for this and you should have contingencies in place for when this happens. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And as per usual with you, it's really well said. I think probably splitting hairs a little bit, like you mentioned the 
uh, I think it becomes difficult when you're replacing 40%, right? And again, yeah. I, to your point, one year does not make a trend, right? This is first year. I think there were some ill fits and those, and I, I agree with your point on the decisiveness as well. You have to be able to pull the plug if it's not working, but that still means that that offensive line coach was a bad hire. Then like both those yeah. things are true. Um, I, we got to take one more quick break, even though I could talk about this the entire show with Curtis. I do want to come back and talk about the over-under with him as well. Um, we got to take one more quick break for our friends of the show uh, over at Game Time. Game Time is the number one source for all of your ticketing needs if you need to get to a Wisconsin game. And there are some doozies on next year's schedule that you're going going to want to be at. Use Game Time to go get those tickets. Download the Game Time app. Use the code Locked On for $20 off. You're already getting the best prices with Game Time. Now you get another $20 off and you don't have to go through crazy logistics to get the tickets and you get pictures of the seats before you sit down. Plus they have last minute flash sales. Plus they have every other type of entertainment venue you want. Concerts, music, uh, comedy, theater, Broadway, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, whatever you want. You can go to game time, elevate your entertainment game, get the tickets, save money, save logistics, save planning. It's all over there. Again, use the code locked on, download that game time app. You create your account. Use the code Locked On for twenty dollars off. It is the number one place to get all your sports entertainment, all your ticketing needs. Game time code Locked On twenty dollars off. All right, let's get Curtis back on here. Um, so I talked about this on my show too earlier, but I wanted your take on this over under six and a half. Vegas said it. If the Badgers win seven games next year, and I know it's hard to say because you mentioned it. We talked about this before the show, and we talked about this on a previous show as well. It kind of matters how you look, but is there any scenario where seven wins is good next year? Um, well, I would say seven wins is not ideal. We don't want that. I know Fickle and, and staff doesn't want that. That's not going to look good on their, you know, performance reviews from Macintosh. Um, and, you know, in terms of the Vegas line number 6.5, I actually agree with the number in the sense that I can totally understand why Vegas has that number. I mean, we've lost to Iowa three of the last four years straight. And then, um, you know, you look at the big teams on the, you know, on the schedule, those, those are teams that, over the last few years, we wouldn't really have a shot of beating. So I, I get, I get the number. Um, that said, if we win seven years or excuse me, seven games next year, um, how would it be a good outcome? I think if you look at it, you know, if you look at some of the teams that you know we're favored to beat off the get, if we smash them, you know, like fifty to ten or something like that, and then you know maybe we lose one game, like you know we go to Northwestern and lose that game because you know it's Northwestern or whatever, um, but we come back, we beat Iowa. And then in each of the big games, you know, we're right there. It's, you know, we lose in overtime. It's competitive. You know, we're, we're toe-in-toe with Oregon, you know, 35 to 34, you know, uh, uh, Friday night lights. You, you get down to the one-yard line, the clock expires. You know, maybe we, we line up to kick versus Penn State and the ref calls a timeout and then we lose the game because time runs out to Arizona State stuff. You know, if stuff like that happens and it's very clear, like, hey, we belong to be there. We just got screwed by the refs or, you know, we just, we just, we're just one step short of where we really want to be. You know, then, yeah, I think you can look back on that and say, hey, yeah, I mean, there's, it's tough to have moral victories, but, man, we were really good, and, and we're right there. You know, give us another offseason, we're going to be winning those games. I think that could be construed positively. But if it's a lot like last year, you know, where it's like, well, it looks like the team's uninspired half the time, or we still don't know what offense is for, you know, half the season, and the defense is just letting people run by them, uh, then I think there'll be some concerns, and I think there'll be some serious questions that need to be addressed going into the Fickle's third year. And so, um, you know, we'll see. Um, but I think the truth is probably somewhere somewhere in between that. I don't know. If, I think we win more than seven. I think we're right around the eight to nine win range. And I think it will be 
all more on the lines of, hey, you look really good. I think this team is improving, and I think there'll be a lot to look forward to in the following year. I love that. I've said I think you need to win eight games next year to get the fans feeling good about it. Because yeah. I think there is your scenarios correct. You could win seven and look better in the big games. But if you win seven, that also does mean you lose every big game on the schedule. Yeah. Plus, it's like – even in even if it's close, I feel like you gotta knock off one of those tough games. Maybe you yeah, go. I'm not saying it's game. ideal, you know. It's not. I mean, I know we'll be what we'll be talking about going into the offseason. Can Fickle win a big game? You know, that's will be the the conversations. And um, you know, so I, I again, I hope we don't get in that place. But I do feel that, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself on predicting next season because the last couple of years, especially two or three years ago, I really thought, yeah, Wisconsin's gonna go ten to eleven and one. We're gonna win the Big Ten West. Last year, I didn't really feel that way. I was hoping we would get around nine wins, and I think we probably should have. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, um, but you know, going into this season, I, I do feel like you know at least eight wins is sort of in the in the ballpark for us. I think that we will do a much better job of beating the teams that we're supposed to beat, um, and I think we're going to have a really good shot in a lot of those big games. I mean, the season actually sets up with all the movement going on. The season sets up incredibly well for us. We get. You know, in Alabama, that's got to work in a new OC, a new ZC, a new coach. They lose a bunch of players. They still got great players, but and, and DeBoer, I think, is a really good coach. I think he could, he's going to do well down there. But I mean, think look at where our offense was three games into the season. I mean, like we yeah. weren't we weren't ready to go. You know, so I, I think they won't be really ready to go either. Jalen Milrow, I, I don't, I'm not know if I'm sold on him yet at Camp yeah. Randall at night. I mean, it's going to be an aggressive environment. Like I think that's going to be a, a good game for us. And then, you know, you look at USC, we play USC, they're coming off Michigan, right? Yeah. So they play at Michigan, which they'll probably get their tails beaten, you know, by a much more physical team than they are. And then they come, they play us. And yeah, it's in Cali, but I mean, first of all, our team, like we have a bunch of Cali athletes now. So it's like that, that, you know, to me is like, I think they're going to be excited to play in that weather. I'm going to be excited to play in that game. A um, lot more low stress environment, USC, you know, the Coliseum is not like that. You know, so yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that that'll be a, a good game for us to ask. I'm not convinced we'll have a defense ready to go by week three, you know. So, um, you know, we'll see. And and Grinch will probably know some things about how that team works. I'm sure he'll be feeling some type of way in, in game planning. So, yeah, I feel good about that game yeah. too. So yeah, he's going to have 17 tackles in that game. <laughs> like, I agree with you. Like, going to USC doesn't really scare me. It really – maybe yeah. it should. They're also replacing a quarterback. They have a lot of turnover on the, on the coaching staff. Um, that's not a – a home environment that's super rowdy and intimidating. Like I, that, that doesn't, or Oregon worries me. I think Bama still potentially could knock us around because yeah. they just have too much raw talent, but you're right. You're getting them at the best possible time to get them. Yeah. The season sets up perfectly for us. I mean, we get Penn state and Oregon at home, you know, so those are, those are huge. I mean, obviously those are probably the two best teams that I believe on our, on our schedule this year. Um, I'm not, I'm not sold on, Drew Lar, but I do like their offensive coordinator hire. I think that's a yeah. inspired hire by Franklin. Um, but Penn State has never demonstrated under Franklin to be able to develop anybody. Everybody comes in at the exact same level they leave that program, and that's why they struggled to get get over ten and two. They have a much more talented roster than Michigan, yet they got ran over three years straight. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's like um, Penn State. I have to see it to believe it. I think they're making moves to try to get better, and I think Fickle's or not Fickle, um, Franklin's suggesting that, but. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with them. And then um, Oregon, I think, is the best team on our schedule. You know, I think they got a, a loaded roster, you know, uh, an experienced quarterback. Um, they have defensive talent, you know, D-line talent across the board, great players. I think they got a lot of team speed. So that's a team that concerns me. But, again, it's at home. It's late in the season. They're going to be beat up from their first ever Big Ten schedule. 
you know, we get the the best team of that we're probably playing all year later in the season when we have more time to get our stuff together too. So we'll see. You know, again, I I, I think that you, to your point, you do have to get to eight wins. I'm not going to call seven wins a victory, but I, I do believe there is a way that if we had seven wins and it looks really good, that like at least you can go into the offseason feeling somewhat positive about it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, Curtis, man, I love it. I could talk to you all day, man. We have to schedule another show coming up. We didn't even get into some of the predictions, but uh, I got to cut it there. He is Curtis Holland, family connections to the program. Um, And again, just someone who comes on with a really reasoned and intelligent way of looking at sports, which we appreciate. Curtis, man, thank you so much, as always. Yeah, thank you. On Wisconsin, and we will talk to you guys later today.